0: Welcome back. Sorry we missed Friday. Happy Mother's Day. Happy weekend, all the above. I don't have anything crazy to start us out with. Uh, actually, hold on. It is episode 74. It is May 10th and super excited to be here almost three quarters of the way to 100, which is awesome. We've got Matt and Chelsea here. Happy to have everybody. Joey's still out working on that. But the thing I wanted to start with, because this doesn't really fit into anywhere, it's like kind of cars, kind of tech, is that I saw an awesome video of nasa and their airless tires i have no idea how they work i'm gonna see if i could find a video it looks like they look like like chainmail mesh almost that roll and i can't imagine they can go very fast but all i'm thinking of is pretty much all the problems we have with tires come from the fact that we have to hold air in them having airless tires seems genius we should start producing cars and stuff that has airless tires especially for all the curb hitters out there i've
1: seen a few different iterations of this somewhere they've got like a a plasticky hexagonal weave that makes up the meat of the tire and then all you have to do is when you need a new when your tread runs low is you just go and retread them which is a much easier cost-effective and environmental protective process to do than to get a whole new tire for no reason
0: yeah we're sitting here trying to replace the internal combustion engine let's start with the tires i mean tires themselves are incredibly environmentally damaging they're expensive and Come to think of it, super inefficient. That's that's actually like the last. That's the last piece of the car that I thought we'd ever have to change because it's you know four wheels and a tire makes a car. But or I'm sorry, four wheels and a steering wheel, or four tires and a steering wheel makes a car. But it it kind of makes sense.
1: <laughs> what are we gonna do with kids' playgrounds if we don't have tires to shred up to make the ground for them?
0: It's like kids probably don't go to playgrounds anymore. They have Fortnite, right? <laughs> Sounds. Pretty true. Yeah, I, I pass by playgrounds. I never see any kids there, but whatever. I thought it was interesting because I, I I know plenty of people that would actually greatly benefit from airless tires. But airless tires, airless tires. Yeah, yeah, because they just absolutely get nails and all that good stuff all stuck in it, and it seems like they're always getting more tires. And I'm convinced it has something to do with curbs, but you know, it's not my place to say. Hmm. Regardless. It those white
1: Jeeps. It's yeah, definitely the white Jeeps. <laughs> it always
0: seems to be a white Jeep, doesn't it? <laughs> all righty. All right. Okay. Let's get rolling here. Uh, we'll start in general as we usually do. Uh, I saw this was actually this was last week. I didn't follow up on this one. So again, bad reporting. Sorry. But last week uh, I was on Tuesday. Chegg, the company that makes the study materials and allows students to actually pass really hard classes, They had their stock price tank about thirty percent after some some news came out. I guess I don't know where they got the information, but they discovered that fewer student that students are taking fewer and less rigorous courses, and instead are choosing to enter the workforce early on. And I'm sitting here thinking, thank God, this is kind of a great thing because we like everyone and their mother is no offense to mothers, but whining about a labor shortage, and we're sitting here like, all right, we don't have people to work and our solution, obviously, was, hey, let's go to the kids first. There's so many kids going to college these days that aren't going to use their degrees. They're going to go be insurance agents or something. Why don't we just take them, spend four years doing internships, free labor, whatever. They can afford it. It's going to be less than the loans they have to take out or what their parents have to pay for school. And that, that solves everything, doesn't it? So this is like a feel-good story that makes me happy, even though I'm sorry, Chegg, but I know you guys lost a ton of money last last week.
1: Uh, If the students are taking easier courses or courses that don't need Chegg service, I think it's a good thing because at least in my experience, if the work was like something that I'm going to need later on that the course is making me do, then I actually did it, which I know some people don't do. But like I only used Chegg, which I had in undergrad, when it was like busy work because a certain amount of courses just make you do busy work. It's stuff that takes time. It doesn't really help you. And so I would just do it just to get it done.
0: I know we kind of bummed off of other friends because we did use it. Everyone I know pretty much had someone that had a check account that they knew of. And it was the same exact story. It was, hey, look, we get an assignment that is gonna be incredibly time consuming and we already know the information. We it's it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter to the concept itself, and it's just something that was mandated by the school or part of the the book that they had to purchase for the class. Cause I mean, cap was it cap who am I thinking? There's like one main company that writes all the books that sell you guys know
1: Uh, probably I can't think of the name off the top of my head though but like yeah like Kaplan like you said makes a bunch there's another one there's a few others there's like a conglomerate of them that just all make all the books
0: I don't know why I had to stare at their names for so long and curse them I I don't know why I can't remember it but regardless so it's usually for the busy work I mean that's what we all did and the other thing was they also found out that students are, believe it or not, sharing accounts like they did with Netflix and all that. And we saw what happened with Netflix. They shot themselves in the foot. So I think if you're Chag, you basically learn from that and say, Hey, look, why don't we offer you like a group study plan instead of just saying, no, we're going to introduce lockdowns on accounts and stuff. Don't make the same mistake. But Matt, you brought up a great point when we talked about this over text last week. And what did you say? Oh God, I have to remember. Um, I said
1: that basically a while ago that they started releasing information about who used their service back to the schools when they requested it, which really defeats the purpose of Chegg. The students were using Chegg to like get answers and how to do the problems and like all the work for it to put on the sheets to turn in. So that way we get rid of the busy work. Well, the schools would request that and then they would fail the students on those things. And they found out that they're using this service. And it's like, well, you're defeating the entire purpose of your service by screwing over the students that use it.
0: So I I think that does kind of make sense because if you're a company like Chegg, and I know I mentioned this before, try to put it in their perspective. You don't want your single income stream to be college students who are unreliable and sharing counts every chance they get. That's a very unreliable source of income. You want it to be the schools. You want them to use you as a source of study material and as a way to teach your concepts more efficiently and more quickly, right? Yes. That I think makes sense to me. So that's the only reason I could really work through and say that's why I w- if I was in their shoes that's why I would do that. My goal would be we we know we're gonna burn some cu- we, we're probably gonna burn most of our customers here at this point, but we want bigger and better customers with bigger and longer contracts. We want to replace the Kaplan's and the um. God, it's on the tip of my tongue. Whatever that stupid company is that writes all those books, it's right there. But Skull a Hill. Yes, yes, that's it, that's it. Yeah, screw those guys. But. Um, most of the books they have are written in the 80s and 90s, and they're still being used in schools today. It's unbelievable. But
1: They kick out a new edition every couple of years with a couple like spelling changes or whatever else, and it's garbage.
0: I would love to know what the contracts and deals that they've worked out between them and the universities look like. It's They've got to have like 10-year contracts, and it, ah, they probably just have them in a chokehold. I don't know. It's ridiculous. But your point was great. And I I loved it. It was, yeah, that that makes sense. The whole reporting thing is going to shoot the students in the foot. So here I am devil's advocate. I think that's why it is.
1: Still blows my mind though, that they would stab their current, I would say 90% clientele in the back for the chance that their 10% clientele that they currently have might grow and be a better source of income. Like that's a pretty wild decision to make.
0: Undoubtedly. I completely agree. And I think it's, it's probably was a hard, hard talk for them to have. So I sat there and I thought, I'm pretty sure Chegg was a company that was just never supposed to be successful. Like it was probably, I, I don't know the origin story and I probably should know, but it, it sure feels like a company that was come up with in someone's basement. And they're like, wouldn't it be great if we all work together and got rid of busy work and then we can share it with each other and it'll be awesome. And then all of a sudden they woke up and they're like corporate CEOs. And they're like, how, how did we get here? What, <laughs> what are we doing?
1: or frat guy business majors that were like, dude, we just share our answers. What if everybody shared answers? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of, uh, what was it, Nick Huber, who we talk about once in a while. He said, um, he said one of the oldest and worst business models that people have ever tried to come up with like around a bar whenever I was sitting is how do we split a tab at the end of a group dinner? It's stupid and a waste of time doesn't work. And I was like, all right, I'm determined to think of worse ideas than that. And I think exactly how you just phrased it is on the face, a worse idea. <laughs> but it's working. It's working. Okay. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, gosh, where do we want to go next? We've, we have so much good stuff. So we could do the fertilizer thing. Do you remember that? Yes. All right. I, yeah, I'm going to let you lead this one. Okay, so we obviously grow
1: lots of crops in the United States. We need lots of fertilizer to do so. Currently, we rely on cows for this mostly. We we use a whole lot of cow manure to do so. And one of our other things is, is we, for people, we need water and we need clean water. And so we spend a lot of time cleaning our sewer water that gets produced by our house. It's called gray or black water, goes from your toilet to your shower, everything else goes into a sewer system. And you see these along the highways, they have the sewage cleaning plants. They smell awful. When you're driving and it starts to smell like poop, that's one of them. Well, what if we didn't do it that way and we just did some minor cleaning to it to eliminate the really harmful microbes that would get in our food and we directed this water out to our crops. It's directed to farms and that type thing and they can spray it out there and fertilize their plants and that type stuff. We didn't spend as much money to clean it and then it seeps down through the ground, goes through and the Florida's case the limestone into our aquifers gets cleaned naturally and then we just pump it back out like we've been doing forever but our aquifers are filled now rather than them getting emptier and emptier like we're doing
0: and then I start a toilet company and I make sure all of my toilets drain directly to that system so that I can slap a big old sticker on it says you are indeed helping the world right now good job <laughs> and everyone buys my toilets it's a cool idea. I mean, it reminds me of like, it's like the water cycle or whatever, but it's like the human piss cycle, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense
0: if it's just like we've
1: built this whole infrastructure that we have that revolves solely around us. Mm-hmm. And it's just humans and it's not really the environment and plants and crops and all that type of things. We have a whole separate system for that in the farming industry. So it would take a whole lot of work to connect these two systems and make this occur, but it would make a whole lot of sense if we did.
0: Well, I mean if we're to survive long term and not completely deplete the entire planet of natural resources, we have to integrate our lifestyle with the planet like with the natural cycles that occur and and stop destroying cycles in order to make ourselves more comfortable because if we can if we can adapt and integrate into a cycle instead of draining from it it just either meets or adds to it and then we're all better off that makes sense that's something pretty much everyone i feel like can agree on
1: i agree and i think it's exactly like you said we've spent so long creating our own separate cycles outside of the natural ones that continually drain the natural ones and that's become where all our issues are we just need to incorporate into them and then it works synergistically and there aren't as much issues going on but because we spent so much time creating our own separate cycles, it's a major pain to try to do so.
0: Yeah, humans are master innovators, but innovation is usually, hey, let me break this and do it a different way. But a lot of our systems, and you'll, I'm, I know you hear me, but if you're listening, you'll hear me complain about industrial age era cycles and methods and pretty much everything. The majority of the way we live our lives is still industrial age era. It's, it's like 1800s-esque, and we just... We're just so used to it. Like the tires thing. I had not even considered that we probably just should have moved away from tires 20 years ago and figured out a better way of doing it. But that's so ingrained that the normal human, granted I'm a bit of a psychopath, would never immediately think of that and say like, yeah, this is something we should change right off the bat. It's crazy to me. I love it. I love thinking about it because we could fix everything. We just need to get enough people working towards it.
1: It's all because of big air reprogramming our minds to think that all of our tires need the oxygen in
0: them i love a tinfoil hat moment <laughs> i love it i that's like our going joke actually around here is like every time every time i'm like hey why don't you change this um and they're like uh, you know someone i know is like no nah, i don't really want to do that and i'm like well you know it's a oh, big tinfoil over here uh big baking sheets they're <laughs> it's just it's At like big anything, and then you can just build this ridiculous conspiracy on top of it over and over. It is so much fun. And then all of a sudden, you've built this giant story of why. Oh my gosh, like um big uh big plastic bags or something like that is in charge of why your toothbrush is the way it is. And it it just it writes, it's like a mad lib, it just writes itself. Yeah. I love it. We should start a series about that, that'd be fun. (laughs) Like a giant conspiracy page. (laughs) Problem is, I think a lot of people would take it seriously. (laughs) Uh That would be so bad. Okay, all right. That was fun. Um, All right. I have a fun theory for you I was noodling on today. So we've got this labor shortage thing that everyone seems to be talking about, which is a deep conversation in itself that I don't think we need to have because you could technically argue that we don't have a labor shortage, And we just, I don't, like there's so many different pieces to this, but where we have to start, I think where we can agree on is that prices for almost every single asset class are increasing. We're not going to have the inflation conversation. It's too long. But the reason that prices are increasing the way they are on one end, not all ends, but on one end is because supply is going down and demand continues to rise. That's just how things go. There's fewer things and more people. There are fewer things, sorry. And there are fewer servers, bartenders, service workers in general. And I started thinking about how would we fix something like this? And I see really three interesting solutions. One isn't really a great solution because it's super complicated. The other two are, I think, pretty possible. So I'm gonna pitch them real quick. First one, this one I think is kind of out there. But I think if we begin just truly pricing everything across all business lines based on supply such as how grocery stores do it that's pretty much how they, grocery stores adapt daily basically i weekly at the very most for a super active grocery store in a major metro center they're able to price things on how much they paid for it how much they have of it and it makes sense because they have the bandwidth to do that but if we could somehow devise a system uh maybe like pos system something like that that would, a stocking system, I don't know, that would allow smaller businesses and restaurants and such that do supply goods and services to price them on a daily basis based on what they got them for. And if we make that the norm, we could be okay. That's a little intense. What do you think about that?
1: Let's do it, but let's apply our, uh, thing we talked about in the past about getting futures on food so we can have, a. Uh Play the food market truly done on supply. We can get futures on chicken or on McChickens or something like that.
0: That would absolutely, that market would get so convoluted and conflict of interest would be awful everywhere. But yeah, the second the retail, sorry, not to get off topic, but the second the retail traders figure out how to actually play futures and options, we're so screwed. (laughs) And it's going to be like the guy who accidentally had to take possession of like 12 tons of eggs. (laughs) But it's just going to happen all the time okay back on track number two we automate absolutely literally everything eliminate the labor costs pass on the savings to people that makes sense we're just gonna have to have robots which everyone's scared of and number three which i like this is my favorite we make it really appealing to work in service industries we make it an actual career so that it's not kind of like a oh You're a 35-year-old bartender, hmm, what did you do? It's like, oh, like you made a wonderful career out of bartending. You are wanted by every restaurant in town. They want you because they know you bring in more business, or you are such a good server that people are constantly offering you better jobs and better positions, because the, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows by now, just by experience, the threshold between um, a bad server and a really good server matters a lot. It is huge. So. I think there is a way, and I think we may do it, our generation being we, in a way that in the next few years, we kind of enable that to be a possibility. We're like, you could go into life and just say, I'm going to be a career service worker, and I'm going to be able to live very comfortably and retire at a normal age and do everything I want to do in a job that I like and in a job that I'm good at, because some people are really good at that. Yeah.
1: I mean, it would work, but I feel like at least for, like, making careers, you'd have to create somewhat like a tier system, which would only work if you have conglomerates that own multiple restaurants. Like, you start out and you work at, like, a small diner, and then, like, once you get better at that, now you're at, like, a semi-decent sit-down place. Let's say, like, Outback. You've graduated from the diner to Outback, and then, like, okay, you're doing good there. Now you graduate to, like, what's the really expensive steakhouse that people go to? Um, Bruce Chris. Yeah, so then you graduate to Ruth's Chris. And then from then, you can go on to like the specialized like Michelin star, fancy local restaurants, that type thing. So like you'd kind of graduate through there. That's how it becomes your ladder system with that. Um, I do take somewhat issue with the automating because I feel like they're not gonna pass the cost down to us, I think they're just going to increase their uh, profit
0: margin. Oh, I don't know. I mean, so we're seeing it pretty clearly now Restaurant profit margins are getting squeezed across the board. They, I think the restaurant problem is this. They, proper restaurateurs are very aware that they participate in the 80-20 rule. They make 80% of their income off 20% of their customers. I'm guilty of this. I have a couple favorite restaurants that I keep going back to over and over. I, It just is what it is. Everyone has their favorite spots that they go to. And if they have to do that sticker shock price where they throw on like your favorite burger was 15 bucks and now it's $25. That's going to shock a lot of their best people I guess. Their best most loyal customers and once you do that that place becomes like a we only go here once every six months because it's a special occasion type of thing and you don't want that. You want to to be a once a week place. I think that's your goal.
1: Yeah I agree and I think your ideas work especially if they're in a well, at least the automating part works great if you're like a single business where it's like a small town business. There's like maybe a small little franchise of them, like four or five, whatever. That works fantastic. But I think when you see it grow to like a national or international change, chain is where we see the issue of them actually passing the uh, the money they save down to the customer.
0: I think that's fair because you can still get a McChicken for like, what, a buck 50, something like that think so yeah it's crazy to me so that thing has to be as low quality as physically possible but if you take the labor out which i assume labor and real estate are probably their highest costs um unless actually mcdonald's probably owns most of the real estate I is that right do you guys know
2: i think mcdonald's is um uh, franchise
0: uh, yeah that would make sense but i think the corporate office i don't know i somewhere they're a big real estate holder but if you're I big, thought that was the basis of
1: their movie, is that McDonald's owns the land, you as a franchisee rent it from them, and you get the profits from the store, but they get continual profits from you by just renting the
0: space. That makes sense. I wish we had Chief Technology Officer Joey or Cody on to do the research real quick. But regardless, I think that makes sense. So my point was their two biggest costs, you can only really change one of them and the one that you can change is labor. And so if you can automate the entire fast food system, you can do one of two things. You can one, increase your profit margins, or two, increase the quality of the product without touching the price. And I don't really know, I I wanna bet on humans and be like, yeah, they're probably just gonna make it better, but who knows.
1: Yeah, I feel like definitely things like McDonald's, you could easily automate things. I mean, half their kitchen is automated with timers and things are all done in little microwaves, ovens, whatever else. Whereas like if it's a made to order place, like your small town restaurant, then that's a whole lot harder to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. It's And also you go to different places for different feels, right? So. When you go to a fast food restaurant, your desire is not to get the I'm being waited on. Actually, you probably want to deal with the staff themselves as little as possible. You don't want to talk to them. You want to just you want to speak through whatever they have outside, uh, hope that they're not too rude and then hand them the cash and leave. That's what you want to do. But when you're at a nice restaurant, I'm talking like your, your once every six months restaurant, once a year restaurant where you go to celebrate something, you want them to walk over. They're going to say something funny. You're in a mood to celebrate. You want to ask them what the wine they like is, what do they have here, what's their special, what's the fish on today. Like, And they, they need to be snappy and know everything. That's a big different experience.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree.
0: Okay. Well, I think it's all very interesting. But So those are my three. And I I really enjoyed serving. So I was kind of like, I think this would just be – this would save a lot of people – from going into careers that they hated, being able to pursue what they want and what they're good at. And, again, this is another one where you don't have to go to college for something like this. And, hell, I working for Gordon Ramsay is probably the goal here, isn't it? Like, he's the best of the best, I would think. Chelsea, you're shaking your head. Is that, is that, is that like a scared thing? I don't
2: know if I would want to work for the man that's known for calling someone an idiot sandwich. <laughs>
0: I love that meme.
1: So maybe Bobby Flay instead. Yeah. (laughs) I
2: would love to work for Bobby Flay.
1: Guy Fieri, something like that. (laughs) I can't imagine working in Guy Fieri's
0: kitchen. (laughs) I love the memes where like, um, oh my gosh, it is a verbal meme, so it's not going to be great. But it's like, it's, it's painting the scene in words. It's like walking to the back of the dirty kitchen. Owner walks up, hands him a plate of slop and says, yeah, we call this the brown trash can or something like that. (laughs) And then it goes, Guy Fieri is like, awesome, man. Very cool. Looks awesome. Super happy to be here. (laughs) I was like, you could literally give him anything and he'd just be such a positive, great dude. (laughs) I think he'd be fun to work for. It would, but I definitely feel like you'd walk
1: in the back kitchen of his restaurant and like, you'd be going to get a plate or something. And he's like snorting a line and (laughs) then like, welcome to (laughs) Flavortown.
0: It's so horrible. (laughs) I hate that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. I think that wraps that one up. (laughs) Okay. So I got a quick one. I think this is interesting. Uh, I saw an audible.com commercial on SportsCenter. I was at a restaurant. This was last week. And I was just, I was mindlessly paying attention to whatever was on TV. And it looked like it was an advertisement for a video game or a movie, but it was for a book, which was kind of wild. You know, it was all animated, it was super well done. I don't remember what book they were promoting, but I guess it was some new fantasy series that was coming out. And all I could think was like, I love audiobooks. This is such a fun way to promote an audiobook that could probably make them some massive sales. You don't really buy audiobooks directly on Audible. You pay for a subscription service in which they give you one credit per month on a recurring basis. They have different subscription levels of it, but I think the base one, which is what I pay for, gives you one. Uh, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, it's $15.99, something like that. Yeah, so is nodding. It's That makes sense. About $16 a month, which isn't a cheap book, and it's also not a used book, but it's a different product. It's not a, it's not a paper copy. And you get that, air quotes, free, even though you're paying your subscription model once a month, but kind of a cool way of doing it. And I have to assume that they work their deals out with the authors directly to have them listed on there. And if you're an author, if you're an up and coming author, I think having an audiobook and having a multimedia approach to how you're going to sell your product is got to be imperative at this point. And to me, it sort of feels like this was super unexpected. Like this way of advertising for an audiobook, which didn't really exist until 15 years ago, I guess, probably something like that. And now is a super popularized way of consuming reading. I, I, and the more air quotes on the reading, I enjoy both forms of reading. They're both great in different ways and you can do them at different times, which I like, but being able to have different types of media meet in the middle is super valuable for marketers, I think. And for people trying to push products.
1: I'm not an audiobook person so I don't know what I can have an opinion on this. I don't know. Their market's pretty niche because you have to be like I see the market as people that have a decent drive to work. Other than that, I'm not going to listen to an audiobook around the house or anything.
0: I do it when I work out. That's my big that's my big time. I almost I used to do it whenever I drove, but I, not as much. I'd prefer music or a podcast. So, I didn't do a very good job with this topic. So that's totally fair. My point of bringing this up was I think we're going to see different types of media advertised on each other. It's not just going to be sports games are advertised on TV. Um, super cheap, ridiculous products are advertised on podcasts because they are. Um, I, I again, I'm doing a terrible job with this bad examples, but it's going to be really interesting if we can advertise a, a book that you don't read on TV to a sports center related audience. What else can you do? There's a lot.
2: I mean, marketing is kind of limitless in the sense that you're just trying to find your niche. Right. And you could get a new niche very quickly sometimes, overnight. I wouldn't be surprised if there are sports people out there that maybe they like podcasts. Audible knows that. They direct books at them that maybe have to do with sports, like those biographies sale plenty of biographies out there
0: that's a great point being able to combine those to know your audience and to know where your audience has cross-media interests i think is really important the other one i kind of came up with and we're seeing this more and more especially on super kind of hot young creative video game uh creators like the fortnite folks over at epic games is advertising for real world products within video games the web3 community is all over this and i don't think it's going to be long Oh, another good one the new Grand Theft Auto game I'm almost positive they announced that they're going to have the real-life car manufacturers and names of the models within the game which is something I've been saying they should do for forever they couldn't do it beforehand because imagine going up to Toyota and saying hey uh, I'm with Grand Theft Auto I want you I want to use your uh, your Toyota Camry in my video game I want to use the likeness of it and um It's going to be great. And so we're just going to show it getting blown up in a hundred different ways. People are going to love it. They're definitely going to want to buy a camera after that. And that didn't go over well.
1: I think it's a great way to monetize video games a little bit more and cut down and keep the cost down for the consumers by having these ads in there. They're non-obtrusive by putting a Toyota car in there that you already can be driving because the Grand Theft Auto had a Toyota-ish car in there that you drove before. Yep. Or when your video game character opens the fridge or whatever it actually has coke or pepsi sitting in there as compared to whatever other fake brand they came up with i'm totally okay with
0: that as long as they're non obtrusive ads makes sense what i was kind of thinking is and sorry to cut you off chelsea you want to say something go for it
2: i'm actually gonna say it's really good organic non-organic marketing like they're paying for it but are making so much of it back from someone playing the game every day, as opposed to them paying, you know, a dollar per click ad. It's kind of a really good idea, especially for companies like Coca-Cola, but are almost everywhere now anyways.
0: So you're right. Re- yeah. Your revenue per exposure is probably higher. I would think.
2: Yes. You're, an investment that you're going to see probably return tenfold. I mean, especially on something like GTA, where people are still buying the game. It's been out for how many years?
0: 2011. Exactly. <laughs> I love that statistic. It's 11 years old and still the highest sold video game of all time. But so, and I think what you said ties into what I was about to say. Perfectly, is I think there's a lot of there's a lot of folks, especially in the younger generations, that don't consume. Uh, television, as much as they used to, they they play video games or they watch YouTube or they're online in different ways than before. So spending a massive advertising budget on a television ad on a Sunday night football game is probably going to net you fewer users than it would if you can somehow get a billboard in Fortnite. So that was my thought, just Cross media marketing is a a wild concept because we kind of get into this like dystopian sort of you cannot escape the ads thing, which can be a problem, but it's interesting. It's cool. It's future. Yeah,
1: I definitely dig it.
0: I can tell you're contemplating. I'm going to let you sit on that one for a few days and then I'm going to randomly text you about it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's get moving. Okay. So we're at the halfway mark. Perfect. Uh, did you do uh, the Rocket Lab thing?
1: Uh, yes. So there's this company called Rocket Lab, which you can kind of think of them like SpaceX. Um, so they do public rocket launches. They're not really trying to put astronauts up there. They're just trying to get, like, satellites and junk into space, from what I understand. Well, instead of SpaceX, where they the rocket goes up and then it has, like, a little... Electronic pilot in it and it lands on a platform in the middle of the ocean. For a while, they even had boats out there with gigantic nets that went to catch them. This has the rocket, and once it comes down within Earth space, it deploys a little parachute. (laughs) And then they take a helicopter with a robotic arm on it and they snatch it out of the sky. Wow. And I thought this was the most wild thing ever. And they did it for the first time about a week or so ago. And they got it right on the first try. They snatched the rocket right out of the sky using the robotic arm on a helicopter. And I was just so impressed. It's really cool from the science field.
0: Is it a human-flown helicopter? Yes. It's not a drone? No. And what about the robot arm? Who, who operates that? I assume the co-pilot or someone else in the helicopter. There's a lot of moving parts here. All I'm thinking of is, so like, you and I and Joey, and I guess, I don't know if Chelsea stands on this or not, but... Um, She's yawning, but uh, <laughs> so I think like the main like we've talked about this. The main problem you have with the rockets and space thing, I think, is that you have to be able to reuse them. And so that's why Elon got so much publicity is because they're able to reuse their rockets and they're able to land them without crashing them, blowing them up, and killing everyone inside, which is a slight deterrent to wanting to get into a rocket in the first place. But this is really cool, and if they could automate the snatch and grab process, I think you've got a major competitor here.
1: Yeah, I think the major thing is that it's cost effective because you don't have to put all the extra tech in it to make it like land on a very specific platform. Or you don't gotta have someone out there who's really good at driving a big boat with a gigantic net on top to catch it. It's pretty simple. You send one helicopter out, has a little parachute snatches it out of the sky. But it's obviously a lot easier said than done because if anybody like me and John has played video games like Halo for like specifically, One person's driving the warthog, the other person's on the gun. Well, they don't always communicate well, so the driver's doing something totally different than the guy who's trying to shoot. I imagine it's the same thing with the guy operating the arm versus the
0: guy flying the helicopter. Yeah, you got to be in perfect sync, and what if you miss? (laughs) Can't you just come back around, I guess? What if you miss three times? Like, what happens? (laughs) I don't
1: know. I don't think it's moving too, too fast, because, like, it has a parachute, so it's slowed down, but still, it
0: can't be easy. You can just imagine that conversation, like, okay, so we missed you. We're coming back around. I, it's going to be okay. Don't freak out. All right. Hold on. We missed you again. We're going to try this one more time. We got two more chances before you, Crash. We're good. We're good. Oh, uh, What a miserable conversation. He's like, guys, stop missing me. I'm starting to get a little worried. Yeah, he's like, all right, there's just a little bit of pee coming out now. I such a cool invention though. I love it. That's awesome. And I can't believe they got it right the first try, but space stuff is awesome. Even though my space ETF is not doing very well, but it's okay. It's fine. It's whatever. I'm not upset. The whole market's doing poorly. All right. That was great. So do you want to do the uh, Trevor Noah video? Sure. Go for it. I'm going to try to not go overboard on this. Because I want to do at least two of your companies because they're awesome. Is that okay? Sounds great. Great. Awesome. So, guy named Trevor Noah, I guess, runs The Daily Show and something. Is it Comedy Central? I didn't really... Okay. Yes. Got it. Comedy Central. I don't know. I've never heard this guy's name before. Again, I'm one of those people that doesn't really... Yeah, yeah. Chelsea made a face of me. I've never heard of him before. I don't consume a lot of mainstream media. I avoid the hell out of it. And I don't know where he stands on anything. I don't know any of his perspectives. Nothing. So... It just, it just doesn't matter. And I, I went into it not knowing. Matt sent me this video. It's a four minute video of him talking about three things. One, the stock market as a whole being a bit rigged. Two, the unreal, taxing unrealized gains, which is a sticky subject. And three, uh, leveraged buyouts. And again, so first time watching it, I was a little groggy this morning. I was like, I was like oh, this guy's funny. I was like, I really need to think about this because Matt sent it to me and he said, something about this doesn't make sense. I want to agree with it and I think I do agree with it, but I don't really know why. Can you tell me why I don't agree with this? And I was like, yes, I can watch it and tell you why you probably are getting the red flag signal. So he, I can tell and probably why he's so successful is an incredibly smart fellow because of the way he phrased this whole thing. Super clever. He walked you through this, he walks you through this beautiful little ladder that you just start agreeing with until you get to the top where you're agreeing with something that has nothing to do with the first thing we agreed upon. It was genius. However, I disagree with a lot of his points. And I think the way to approach a topic like this is to break it down to what the exact points were. So we can determine what we're arguing. Because comedians make it really hard to argue with them because they don't have a specific point. So... Going off the three points. First one, markets are rigged. I 100% agree with this. True. I don't. I, I talk about it all the time. I don't want to go into detail. It's ridiculous. If you don't think insider trading is happening, open your eyes. Move on. Whatever. Okay. Second one, the juicy stuff. He started talking about the Elon Musk Twitter buyout, and he'd mentioned unrealized gains. And so the the context of this was, he said, "I don't really understand why this was able to happen in the offer." Elon came up and said, Hey, I'm going to use my Tesla shares as collateral in order to make this purchase. And you say, okay, yeah, it's well and good. That's a leverage buyout. If you know anything to do with finance at all, you understand the concept and the reason for why something like that happens. I guess he doesn't understand anything about us. It's fine, whatever. And then he said, well, and I also, I he said something along the lines of, well, if you're going to do that, then we should be able to tax you based on your net worth of these shares, because they're all the same thing. It's not exactly what he said, because if he said it like that, you'd realize how ridiculous it sounds. The taxing unrealized gains thing is absurd, makes no sense, and I will fight it to the death because one, <laughs> you're going to have to tax someone on the assets and their net worth, and then their tax bill's probably going to be higher <laughs> than their income. And then all of a sudden you've got a whole bunch of broke homeless people and you're like, what do we do? We've just, we've removed all the money from our system for no reason. It's silly. The way that we have it is whenever you make a purchase or a sale of an asset, you trigger a taxable event. You must pay taxes based on the rules and regulations of that particular event. I don't love it, but it makes sense. And this all kind of comes together when he said, well, If you don't have to pay taxes on your unrealized gains, your assets, say Elon Musk is worth however many billions, if he gets to say, I don't want to pay taxes on my billions because they're tied up in shares, why does he get to use those shares as collateral to make a giant purchase? Why does he get to go say, I will give you these in exchange for if I don't pay my loan as long as you lend me all this money? And I guess he found this very unfair. I'm going to explain to you what a leverage buyout is real quick. A leverage buyout is whenever you as a company or an entity want to purchase another company or entity and you say, okay, most of our worth, which could be call it $10 billion. We're a $10 billion company. Most of it is tied up in our assets, our machinery, our products, everything we have. We don't actually have $10 billion in cash because that would be silly. So when we want to buy something, how do we get that cash? We go find capital. We go talk to big banks, big investors, and we say, we need money. And they say, awesome. What will you put up in exchange for this money? And we say, we'll put up exactly what we have, which is either equity of our company through stock shares, physical assets of your company, which I don't think banks are going to be too thrilled about, or debt, which they're also not as thrilled about because they don't make as much money on it. They make the most money on equity, which is why it's typically used for something like this. The reason you as a company don't want to give equities because you give up ownership. So what happened was, Elon came up and said, hey look, the biggest asset I have is my ownership of Tesla. And so I'm going to use that as collateral because this means the most to me and I, you guys won't accept anything else. I'm gonna say, if I take on this ginormous loan from you in cash to buy this company out and I don't meet my debt obligations of that cash, I will liquidate my shares contractually and use that money to pay you. Now, I guess that doesn't make sense to some people and that's okay. So I thought of it in this way. Most commercial real estate and residential real estate developers don't use their own cash. Pretty much all of them don't. They go out and get loans in order to make the construction happen. There's no other way to do it. So if... We destroy leverage buyouts for companies and entities and don't allow something like that to happen. Nothing will get built. That's just, So I was talking to Matt earlier about this. The American system is built on two very distinct parties, not political parties, but parties that work together to build things. You have entrepreneurs on one side, you have capital on the other side. They both have something that the other wants. The entrepreneurs have the creativity and the drive and the risk tolerance to get going. The capital side does not have that risk tolerance, and they don't. What they want to do is they want to make intelligent decisions to lend money out to certain entrepreneurs to get innovations done. Meet in the middle. Amazing things happen. That's how we've created the American machine, and it works great. So my super long-winded answer to this, I'm sorry I've been talking for so long, is that it's kind of ridiculous, and those are the reasons. And if you remove those systems, everything kind of falls apart and nothing happens. So there we are.
1: I followed that mostly. (laughs) Great. I probably didn't, again,
0: I didn't (laughs) do as well as I ever could have. What?
2: But Matt said. I followed that to an extent.
0: Sorry. I tried to do my best. The problem is we could talk about it for about an hour and a half, and then we'd probably just be scratching the surface of how it all works, but I did my best.
1: One of those things that's hard to really, like, there's so many intricacies of it that it's hard to really simplify it down into something without, like... Having too many questions about the stuff that you didn't
0: talk about. Right. I tried to explain it like to a five year old, but it, it's just, it's once we've complicated the system in so many ways and it's on purpose. But go ahead, Chelsea.
2: I do have a question. Okay. How does any of this affect the lawsuit he's doing right now because of him trying to buy out Twitter?
0: What lawsuit? I have no idea.
2: He's getting sued by two other shareholders.
0: Oh, was that for the Twitter. Oh, oh yeah, the idiots in New York. Yes, I remember those people. Yeah. So, again, yeah. yeah, this was this is a classic case of damned if you do, damned if you don't in my opinion, and that's all I have to say about it. And these people got upset because they sold their shares right before he announced that he was buying Twitter at the exact time that he is legally obligated to announce and They didn't make all the many millions of dollars they would have made if they would have sold one day later. Dude, you're playing the stock market, move on. Whatever, get over yourselves. It's the same, you know, not, okay, I'm gonna get off my high horse in a second, I swear. It's the same crowd that argues about, oh my gosh, these people should have done this and then they'd be okay. Well, guess what, sir, you should have done this or should have just relaxed. Nothing is always, it's not always gonna work out in your way. Move on. That's all I have, all right.
2: We we actually might be talking about different suing.
0: That's probably he has a lot of lawsuits. <laughs> yeah, because this one is
2: actually he's being sued by the Florida pension fund.
0: Oh, I have no idea. So we probably shouldn't get into it. I still want to get the Matts companies. I'm sorry. We can There's do that on Friday. He's
2: being sued for. This is amazing. Too many Ellen things.
0: Yeah, I have no idea. I Again, I'm not a lawyer in any way. I have no clue. All I know is that whenever people complain about not getting the price for their shares they wanted, I just point to the free market and I'm like, sir, <laughs> sir, <laughs> come on. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Matt, pick any of your four awesome companies.
1: Okay. We're going to start at the top of the list. Love so it. the first one, and it has a really long URL, so bear with me. It's called organizeyourmusic.playlistmachinery.com. Now, if you just consume playlists that other people have made on Spotify, you can tune out and skip to whatever is next. But if you're like me and you make playlists and you like having very niche playlists that fit whatever your listening needs are, whether it be genre or mood or whatever else, this is fantastic. So what it is 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 uh, it's a site that you can go to, you log into your Spotify, and then you select that, like you wanted to organize your music. And then you just hit go and what it does is it takes all of your music finds all the songs in there and then categorizes them for you based off like how fast they are how loud they are what genre they are all that type stuff so you can find and uh what niche every one of these is it gives you a list on the side tells you every single um uh, genre that they're in even though they might be in different genres than what you even listed in your playlist it gives you the styles the moods the decade they're from, whatever it may be. And then you can take these and take the list that it gives you and create new playlists. Or just use the niches that you didn't know you listened to and go search up and find more on Spotify, whatever it may be. But if you're really into music, it's a fun little thing to toy around with. The site is a little bit busted, not in like it's broken and hard to use, but it's a little bit old, like it could use some refreshing but it's fantastic. I've been tooling around with it for a few days and i found a whole bunch of new music that I absolutely love.
0: Yeah, this is a Matt Matt thing. I I just type in whatever my mood is at the given time and Spotify sends me 10 playlists.
2: (laughs) Is this just like a more extensive version of what Spotify does now?
0: Well, Spotify
1: doesn't really categorize your stuff for you. I mean, you can make your own playlists and it will offer you suggestions and all, But this really takes your playlists and instead of trying to add more to them it kind of breaks them apart into all the different things that they are so whereas spotify might try to like add more to your meal this kind of separates your meal into the individual ingredients and tells you like what they all are these are the herbs these are the spices this is the meat like that type stuff so it tells you like what each individual part is and so like i did it with mine and so it'll categorizes them it tells me like okay this is alternative metal this is new metal this is post grunge or rock rap rock modern rock all that type stuff and so you go through see what songs you are you can make a more specific playlist out of the songs that just fits that specific genre or maybe you say oh well i really like the songs that were in this genre and then you go type whatever that genre is in spotify and find a whole bunch more new music it's not really for finding new music necessarily but it's more about like Okay, this is how you can organize it and get everything all into like one mood feeling style.
0: It was probably made for DJs, to be honest with you. Like, that's what I'm thinking of.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's another DJ software out there that does this exact thing, but I don't know of it. I'm not part of that, like, world. So, this is fantastic from my point of view.
0: Well, we talked about it beforehand, and my first thought was this is a perfect Spotify buyout. Like, this is exactly what they would look to purchase to make their stuff bigger. But it turns out that they do already own it, and it's, like, been since 2016 or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be great, like, if they just made it a slightly more user-friendly and integrated in some of their other systems. So, like, once it breaks it down by genres like this, it would toss down at the bottom the recommended or whatever else that you already have it would be fantastic, and I think a bunch of people would use it because it's not hard to use at all and it's wonderful for what it
0: does. I'm mostly just excited because Matt made a modern alternative German rock playlist and I love it. And I've been asking him to add to it for months. And now this is hopefully gonna give me some new material. <laughs> it
1: should. Once I get to that, I'm getting through like my main like daily player playlist, and then I'll get to my German rock playlist. It's you- like tertiary on the list.
0: You crazy analytical monster, you. i love it it's super fun so i'll tag that in the show notes just to make sure everyone can play around with it if you choose but it's one of those things that you really got to be into your playlist for. actually i have a couple friends that might like this to recommend but okay all right i'm ready for the next one we got time let's do it
1: all right so the next one is glyph and so what glyph is it's spelled g-l-y-p-h it is molecular spirits so some really smart person out there probably a chemist They decided we're gonna make booze, but kind of in a totally different way. Currently, when you make booze, like just straight liquor, you put a whole bunch of ingredients in a pot and it goes through the distilling process. And then you get to the very end and you have your product. Nothing is really added along the way. It's all kind of in at the start. And then you just capture whatever you get at the end and that's what you have. Well, Glyph does it different. They take and they make a base spirit. So it's just unflavored, it's nothing. Kind of like grain alcohol, I would say, and then they go and they go to like all your favorite, like let's say whiskey or rum or whatever else, and they say, okay, what are the key flavors that are in this? And they figure out what those are molecularly, and then they go out to nature and find them there, wherever they may be, in whatever plants, uh, trees, whatever they find where these flavors are, and then they add them into this base spirit that they have created and recreate whiskey or rum or whatever else after the fact, all using the same base spirit. So it's kind of cool. Like it can be anything they want it to be. They just have to go find the flavors and make it.
0: Yeah, it's a wild concept. I mean, pros is I can have a technically 14-year-old age scotch that tastes the exact same single malt, but they made it in a day and it probably, it it doesn't have to have the return that that single malt had over 14 years. So you can have it super cheap, And boost profit margins or cut down costs. Cons are you're kind of destroying the cultural part of it.
1: Yeah, but like you said, you don't have to age something for 14 years. You don't have to have a giant warehouse with thousands upon thousands of barrels of whiskey sitting there. Just doing nothing for decades to get that flavor. They can find whatever that flavor is and make it in a day. And they use ninety-four percent less water when they do this. Ninety-two percent less land because they don't need those big warehouses, and they emit eighty-seven percent less carbon dioxide into the atmosphere.
0: All right. So second this pro, is the it's,
1: future of booze, dude.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Second pro is that it's really, really efficient. Apparently.
1: When you only have to do it in 24 hours, you don't have any of the extra junk after that. saves so much for everything.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you have to figure, I've thought about this for a while. The only way that they could actually make their money in an industry like that is you would have to do it at scale and you would have to have, oh, the capital. And you'd have to be the entrepreneur ready to take on that massive loan to put that warehouse up, to do the projections and say that this is going to be here for 10 years before it makes us any money.
1: Yeah. And it'd be really cool because no matter what booze you like, if you drink booze, there's always the unicorn bottles of whatever it may be, whether it's tequila or whiskey or uh, scotch, whatever. And there's like, we'll go with bourbon, for example, there's Pappy. Pappy is the king. Like they sell for thousands of dollars in the secondary market, but there's only so few of them and they have to age for so long. Well, they could just take a bottle, find out what flavors are in it, and then kick out a batch in a day. That's, Everybody could have it if they
0: wanted to. Matt, do you think people buy bourbon because of how good it is?
1: <laughs> Some people I like do, obviously. Some people do.
0: So, I mean, this is always my argument, is the, to succeed in the liquor industry, you need a story, you need to be really good at marketing, and you need to have plugs in that tiny little community. You need to have all the bourbon bloggers talking about you. But I thing is, I would never, ever pay $1,000 for a bottle of whiskey unless it just meant nothing to me uh i'm a maker's mark guy through and through and it's i mean what we're like 55 56 bucks for a bottle of maker's mark a big one i would i would never choose something that expensive over what i already know and like even though what i know and like is technically not the best whiskey
1: but the thing is is now you can get that pappy for 56 dollars possibly
0: right right now yeah yeah okay i see your point i get it yeah that makes sense but my my point was the reason that a lot of these are so successful is that they have the story, and right. I think that's what sells.
1: But if it's truly a better product, now theoretically we could have it for much cheaper and without all that extra stuff that makes it take so long and cost so much. So, from your point, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. But
0: if you look at it in a few different ways, it kind of does. I think it makes sense. I love I love talking about this stuff, and I love making you think about it. I just the only the only thing I always Think about is, it's like music. Like everyone has different tastes for this sort of thing, and so that's, I don't know. And we, I think we like to identify with like bourbon guys especially. Like I, I gotta be honest, I like being a Maker's Mark guy. It makes me feel cool, even though I do actually enjoy the product. But I think some people have that identity for other stuff. I know plenty of people that are like. We are only tequila people, and there's a few psychopaths that are only vodka people. Like I, oh, whatever. But there's it, a whole country for that. Oh god, yeah, and they're going through some shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> see, see what being a vodka person gets you. <laughs> That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. There's a lot happening, but no, I loved your point. I love the company. This is great, and I'm also I'm gonna. Do they have a website?
1: Yes, they do. Great. I'll tag it them. Is- it is glyphspirits.com.
0: Very cool. I'll put it in the show notes. I think it's worth checking out. And I, I actually do agree that this is the future of this sort of thing. And then we've got lovely marketing professionals like Chelsea to sell it and make more money. That's <laughs> what we're here for. Yep. Okay, we got time for one more. Let's do
1: it. All right. We're going to stick on the booze trend. Oh, boy. So next thing is called protocol. spelled uh, P-R-O-T-O-C-H-O-L. And this is for all the heads. Yes, they have finally made a spiked protein drink.
0: <laughs> so we, we talked about this um, a little bit before. I'm going to let you go into it, but it's, it's worth noting that I was nearly in tears laughing at how ridiculous this is, and I love it. Pitch it to me. I'm here.
1: <laughs> All right. So for every guy that loves going to the gym and also loves partying on Saturdays down by the pool and thought, man, it would be great when I'm drinking this White Claw if I also got my protein in at the same time. This is the drink for you. <laughs> so what this is, is it has it's a spiked protein drink. It's fruit flavored. They come with 8% alcohol uh, by volume, 11 grams of protein per drink. It's roughly equivalent to 2.3 White Claws per can, and it comes in the delicious flavors of Pineapple Pump, Swalberry, and Orange County.
0: Orange County is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. This <laughs> is like, this is the dumbest thing of all time. But I also kind of want to try one. <laughs> it's like, hang on, guys. I got to shotgun my protein claw. <laughs> <laughs> you rip one, crank out 10 push-ups, you're ripped, and you're having a good time.
1: It's- I mean... From a science point of view, this makes no sense. Like, None. alcohol and building muscle mass don't go together. If you really know anything about weightlifting, you'll know most of those people that are really into it don't drink. Yep. But they're like, let's make the best of both worlds and put them together.
0: All right. It literally defeats the purpose of itself. But, okay. So, my dumb, dumb monkey brain can wrap my head around the concept of, like, like the sales pitch of someone says, hey, what if you got extra protein While you were drinking White Claws and out by the pool. That way you don't have to slack on your protein powder and go into the gym. You're just going to get it passively while you're partying and having a good time. Monkey brain can accept that. Smart brain says, hang on, I have three questions. (laughs) Maybe five. And the names are fun too. So where do I get one of these? So from what I was reading...
1: They're only really sold up north. It's made in Erie, Pennsylvania, which happens to be the hometown of where my uh, medical university is from. But uh seems like they're only sold up north right now, up in that area. There's nothing really in the south, unfortunately, but maybe we'll get a crazy redneck that does the same thing down here.
0: I just... Crazy idea. It makes no sense to me, but I love it. Yeah, I, I actually, to be honest, can't believe this hat didn't happen sooner and hasn't taken off. I mean, just think about, like, the bang energy drinks and all that, those things have creatine in them. And it's people don't seem to understand what creatine is. It's like a horrible chemical (laughs) that really pumps up your, your water cells and all that stuff. And then I just, and you're drinking an energy drink like casually, like you would a cup of coffee with it. And it's got all that stuff in it.
1: Yeah. So my thing is, is we got to get Joey to pick this up. It's in Pennsylvania. He needs to go on a road trip and pick up a case of these and really give it a try for us.
0: We'll pitch it to him after the show. I guarantee he will do it. There's absolutely no way he wouldn't, and we need a full review as soon as possible. It's going to be so fantastic. I can't wait. I love it. <laughs> yeah, our first on-show product taste t- taste test. <laughs> All right. That was a lot of fun. That wraps everything up for me. You guys got anything else? Nope. All right. Beautiful. Bob yeah. uh, might be around later in the week. Might not. We'll see you when we see you. Have an awesome week. Have a great week.
2: Goodbye.